Um, So we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 tonight, and I believe that's printed for you on your handout, uh, starting in verse 36. Uh, My wife Erin is not here with us tonight, but um, if you met her, you would see she's the sweetest, most innocent woman you could possibly meet, um, which is interesting considering the, the first time that she ever went skiing in Colorado. Um, she had never been skiing before, which was a pretty daunting thing to learn in the first place, but um, she takes some lessons, sort of gets the general idea down, but then there comes that moment where you have to get on the ski lift, and even if you're like a really good skier, there's always that awkward timing of, all right, someone stands on that red line, and the ski lift comes around and picks them up, and it's not until after the ski lift comes around and picks them up that you then proceed to go to the red line. And the confusion happens when, do I go before or after? And so there's this sweet elderly couple standing on the red line, and my wife and her friend were waiting, and they get mixed up, and they ski out to the red line and realize the chair hasn't come yet. The chair comes around, scoops up my wife, her friend, the lady of the couple plops down in between them, the elderly man sits right on my wife's lap, and my sweet, innocent, good-natured wife is thinking, this is probably not safe for all of us to ride up the mountain like this. And so she pushes the elderly man (laughs) off the ski lift, and he falls about 10 feet down to the snow. And then she rides up just terrified because she's thinking, I'm just a good person trying to do this good thing, keep it safe. And, And she looks over, and his wife is sitting next to her, and they ride up the entire way. And his wife was not thinking that my wife was such a good person after she launched her husband off of the ski lift. Tonight, our passage, it's about two different types of people. One of these people feels like a good person doing a good thing. And the other person feels like a bad person doing bad things. And they both encounter Jesus. And I wonder, even as I give these categories, use that phrase, good person or bad person, how that gets you thinking. Uh, I wonder how you classify yourself as good or bad and, and what the standard is that you use for that. Um, I wonder how you think about life prior to being here as a student, growing up. Were you a good kid? Were you a bad kid? You know, you sort of get to reset when you come to college, right? And I wonder what life has been like for you. Are, are, are you a good person or are you a bad person? Here's a question I want us to think about as we approach this text tonight. How does Jesus treat good people? And how does Jesus treat bad people? So let me read our passage for us. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. 
Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to be with us as we think about it tonight. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time together. God, um, you know our stories as we walk into this room. Uh, You know the big things that are going on, the things that are making us anxious tonight, uh, the things that we're thinking about in our relationships and school and families and our health. And I ask that in the midst of all those things, you would meet us by your spirit through your word and Bring us a sense of peace in knowing more of you tonight. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so growing up, I went to a small um, private elementary school where my fifth grade class had like six people in it. When that school ended, I transitioned to a big, large public school for sixth grade. And I was really nervous about this transition, first off, because just the sheer difference in the size of the school, it it was a major difference It was like the big, cool public school. And I was also nervous just because sixth grade is the worst. The worst. Middle school was a time of life I like to block out if I can. Um, Within the first few weeks of sixth grade, I can remember getting invited to my first party. And this was a big deal because sixth grade for me was when parties went from being just boys at the party to boy-girl parties. And so I got really nervous about this. And I thought, well, you know, I'm at this new, cool, big public school. There's going to be girls at this party. And so I thought, I need to look cool. And so I went to my dad's closet. And in my dad's closet, I found a sweater. I wish I had a picture of it. I actually don't wish I had a picture of it. But let me describe it. It was an old uh, maroon mock turtleneck sweater. And it had um, sort of like blue and white, like racing stripes almost, down each of the sleeves. And I saw it, I thought, yes, that is the sweater. And so I, I, I get the sweater, and I go to this boy-girl party. And, in, and the way I read the whole evening, I thought, hey, this sweater worked out pretty well. This was pretty great. And so a month or two later, there's another party. And I thought, you know, that sweater was pretty good at the first party. I should wear the sweater again. And so I wore the sweater again. And sure enough, with each party that came up in sixth grade, I wore this mock turtleneck sweater. And I thought, you know, this is going so well at parties. Why limit it to just a party sweater? Let's start wearing it to school. And so I started wearing the sweater to school. And I actually did begin to refer to the sweater as my party sweater. And in my eyes, the way I understood myself in this sweater, this sweater was great. It was cool. It was fashionable. Uh, it, it, it hit all the requirements. 
Until one day, uh, my best friend, this is far into the sixth grade year, finally gets the nerve to say, hey, you know the sweater? The sweater's not cool. In fact, it's really ugly. And like, I'm not the only one that thinks that. And I was devastated because I was legitimately convinced that the party sweater was a cool sweater. In my eyes, I had something that was stylish and forward-thinking. I was really onto something. But that was so far from reality. This text tonight is about how we see ourselves. And this text is going to show us that how we view ourselves shapes how we view Jesus. How you view yourself tonight shapes how you view Jesus. And I want to look at this under two headings. And these, I believe, are on your hand up for you. I want, to, I want to look at Jesus in good people and Jesus in bad people. Let's look first at Jesus and good people. So what happens here? This Pharisee asked Jesus to come over to his house for a dinner party. Okay, so a Pharisee would have been a religious leader during this day. Um, externally, their lives would have looked perfect. Uh, they knew all the religious laws. They obeyed all these religious laws. Um, they, they sort of had it all together. They judged those. They were harsh with those who didn't. Um, and, and they sort of knew that they had it all together. All right, so one of these people, these Pharisees, his name is Simon, invites Jesus to his house for a dinner party. Jesus agrees and goes to this dinner party. Now, the way this would have been set up, it's not like a, a closed house like we would tend to think of it, but this would have been sort of open into a courtyard uh, with open doors where people could sort of come and go. This would have been a high-profile dinner party based on who was there. And so doors would have been wide open for people to sort of uh, wander in. During this time, it says that a woman of the city, the text says, who was a sinner, walks into this dinner party. All right, Luke is describing a prostitute. That's what all those phrases mean. So you have this, this whole scene here, this important religious leader, Simon, hosting a dinner party. The self-proclaimed Son of God, Jesus, is his guest. And then in walks this prostitute who was not invited. And what does this woman of the city do? She lays down on the ground next to Jesus, begins weeping at the feet of Jesus, so that her tears drip down onto his feet. She uses her own hair to then clean his feet. Then she kisses her feet, his feet, breaks open this jar, puts ointment on his feet. And this is all happening in Simon's house at this dinner party. Simon sees what's going on, and he speaks up. And when Simon speaks up in this passage, we get to see his view of himself and his view of Jesus. So what is Simon's view of Jesus? It's the view that looks at Jesus and says, I'm not that bad. Simon's view is, I am not that bad. What does Simon say? Verse 39. He says, if this man Jesus were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So Simon's view of himself is, I'm not that bad. I'm not like her. I'm a good person. And Simon's view of Jesus is, I don't know who this guy is, but he must not be a prophet. Because if he was, he would know what type of woman that was who was touching him. And he wouldn't be okay with that. So I'm not interested in that. Here was this good person. How does Jesus respond to Simon? How does Jesus respond to good people like this? Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Which That should pique our interest when Jesus says that. I have something to say to you. And then he tells a story. Jesus did this a lot. He would tell you a story and get you thinking. Knock you back on your heels a little bit. 
Verse 41, he says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So he gives us a little story. This moneylender had two people that owed him money. The one that owes this larger sum, that was about two years' wages. It's a large sum of money. Two years' pay. The other smaller sum would have been about two months' pay. Still a significant amount. Neither of them could pay, so this lender cancels the debt of both. And Jesus then asked Simon, who's going to be more grateful? Who's going to love that lender more? As an aside, maybe you're here going to school on borrowed money. Maybe you took out student loans to come to school here. Um, I have multiple friends uh, that, that I graduated with that went on to do lots of grad school and, and invested a lot on the front end and came out with like over 100K in student debt and have been chipping away at that slowly. Maybe you're, you're somewhere uh, in that ballpark. Uh, but uh, imagine the feeling. Uh, it's graduation day and you're like, you're anticipating walking across the stage. Maybe you've already got that job lined up. And your phone rings, and it's the bank. And they say, hey, you know, we realize you took out these loans, and we were just kind of looking at the numbers and, and thinking, you're going to be paying this off for a long time. You know, it'd be a lot easier if we just canceled this debt for you. And you're thinking, yes, please, that's great. And that changes everything. And obviously, the more that you borrow, the bigger deal it would be. And that changes everything. Now you're thinking, wow, this is going to affect my standard of living, where, you know, where I live, what I drive, how, how life's going to go for me. This has a major impact, that one phone call. And this is how Simon answers Jesus when he asks him this question. Obviously, the one with the larger debt is going to love this moneylender more. And Jesus says, you're right. He sort of leaves Simon thinking that through. And then what does Jesus do? Look at the text. Verse 44. He tears into Simon. Publicly, at Simon's dinner party. He says that he didn't offer Jesus water for his feet when he entered the house. He says he didn't greet him with this customary kiss. He didn't anoint his head with oil. All that sounds very odd to us. And we're like, yeah, I'm glad he didn't do that because that would be very weird to greet someone like that. That was totally normal greeting in this time. It would be the equivalent of greeting someone at your front door, taking their coat, offering them something to drink, a seat, something like that. Very customary greeting. And Jesus is saying, hey, Simon, you important, good person, you didn't do any of that for me. In this context, that was a major sign of disrespect. He says, hey, this woman of the city who's considered a bad person, she did all that and more. This is important to see here. What we see in these two people are two very different views of what the Bible calls sin. Sin is something that we're born with, and it's a word the Bible uses to describe our rebellion against God. Our rebellion against God, the ways we've disobeyed Him, the ways that we have chosen to do life on our terms rather than on God's terms. That's what sin is. Simon's view is this. My sin is really not that bad. That's how we operate in life. My sin is not that bad. The woman's view is that my sin is that bad. And I can't handle this on my own. More on that in a moment. Um, A few years ago, uh, my family and I were uh, preparing to uh, go out of town for, for a weekend, and we were leaving um, sort of early on a Friday morning, and at this point we just had two daughters, and they were really young, and um, they were like strapped in the car, we're packing stuff up, and my wife runs down to the basement where our washer and dryer were, and they were in like this kind of dingy, unfinished part of our basement, uh, to grab something really quick to throw it in the car so we could get out of town. 
She goes down there, grabs something, comes up like pale white, like a ghost. She says, hey, babe, there's something in our washing machine, and I think it's a bat. And I just look at her, I'm like, of all the things that she was about to say to me, this is not what I expected her to say. So I thought, okay, great. So I run downstairs, and I sort of like lurch around the corner, and I peer into the washing machine, and the door is up on it, and I look in there, and sure enough, there's like this little brown, gray thing latched on the inside of the washing machine, just kind of like lingering there. I've never seen a bat before. I don't know what to do with it. And so like very quickly, I'm thinking, my kids are in the car. We have these plans to get away for this weekend. What am I going to do? And I take the door to the washer, and I slam it. And I run upstairs, and I say, all right, babe, we're good to go. Let's go. <laughs> and we go out of town for the weekend. And I think, I, in the moment, I thought, you know, I just can't deal with this right now. I'm going to ignore it. I really just want to enjoy this weekend away. And the entire weekend away, I was so uneasy. I, I could not ignore it. In my mind, I kept thinking, what did I do? Uh, is that bat going to be alive when I get back? Is it going to be dead? If it is alive, is it going to be angry? Uh, if, what does an angry bat do? Um, and so I'm like trying to like do covert bat research on my phone throughout the whole weekend. But when I got home, I realized this problem must be dealt with. Like, if we're going to do laundry and sleep in this house, we must deal with the problem. And so I get dressed up in my ski jacket. Um, glo- we don't ever go skiing, by the way. I know I've, I've referenced skiing twice. We never actually go skiing. But I put on my ski jacket for this purpose, ski goggles, work gloves. I get a giant um, bag, get a couple trash bags. And I'm able to go down and, and sort of quickly open it, grab the bat, and bag him and take him out to the backyard and get rid of him. Um, but... I wanted more than anything to be able to ignore that problem and just hope that it would go away. I was confronted with the fact that I had to deal with it for my sake and for the sake of my family to be in that house. We really have two options when it comes to our sin. We can slam the door on it and ignore it and downplay it and rationalize it or We can see it for what it is. As pervasive as killing us from the inside out, as eating away at us, and seeing it as something that must be dealt with. It is so much easier in the moment when you're confronted with your own heart and your own sin to slam the door and just walk away. And then get really busy doing good things to try to ignore this whole problem. Get busy with classes and student organizations and volunteering and maintaining some kind of decent relationship with your parents and being a good friend and on and on and all the while trying to keep this lid slammed down and convince yourself that you're okay. Simon, the religious leader, this good person, had slammed the lid on his sin and ignored it. And how does Jesus respond to him? He's saying, Simon, you have totally missed it. You're the one who's supposed to know this stuff. You're the religious person. You're the good person, but you've missed it. You think the woman is the mess, Simon. You're actually the mess. Verse 47, Jesus says, whoever is forgiven little, loves little. He's saying to Simon, you are going to be a shell of a person with no real love for Jesus or other people if you do not deal with this. 
Jesus had harsh words for this good person. What does he say to the bad person? What can we say about Jesus and bad people? What was the woman's view of Jesus? This would be the view that I am that bad. Right? And and what does her posture towards Jesus say about how she thought about him? She saw Jesus for who he was. She saw the rescuer sitting there at the table. So she goes into the house. And And actually the way she approached him is really telling. Because she was sort of standing behind him which is how you would have approached one in this context if you were afraid to make eye contact because you were ashamed of yourself. Simon approached Jesus as being totally inferior to him, not even giving him the proper greeting. The woman approaches Jesus and honors him, feeling not even worthy to look at him. She comes to Jesus with tears, with brokenness, with shame, humiliation, falls down before him, not trying to hide but literally laying herself out there and surrendering before him. And how does Jesus respond to her? Well, first, he looks at her, and he speaks to her, and he interacts with her, which in this culture would have been incredibly scandalous. Uh, Men and women did not dialogue in these ways in this culture, especially a man of Jesus' status and a woman of her status. So the fact that Jesus engages with her in the way that he does would have been a mark of how dignifying she was in his sight. This would have been unheard of in this culture. And when he speaks to her, what does he say to her? He says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, This woman of the city, in this moment, understood the kingdom of God better than the religious man who had it all together. I know that in a room like this tonight, um, there's a wide range of belief. That's one of the things I love so much about RUF is um, whatever your background is, whatever your beliefs are, you're welcome to come and consider. And so I know that's reflected in various ways. Different uh, spectrum of belief and and, uh, skepticism and doubt. And I would just say there's no better place for you to be on campus than in this room if that's where you are. And if you're here tonight considering Jesus and considering this whole Christianity thing, I want you to be crystal clear on who He is. That Jesus had compassion and grace on the messy prostitute. And He harshly rebuked the religious person that thought He had it all together. This is who Jesus is. And here's what this means for you. You're not too dirty for Jesus. I know we can feel that way sometimes, especially... Uh, with things like sexual sin, sexual mistakes that we make, things that we end up regret doing, um, the emotional and physical cost, it just feels like too much for us to bear. And we don't dare put words to it and tell a friend. Because we feel like we're alone in it. And, and we can't fathom Jesus actually handling something like that. It just feels like too much. But there is no mess, there is no dirt that Jesus can't cleanse. Simon's, Simon said, I'm not that bad. The woman said, I am that bad. And Jesus' response is, you are that bad, but my grace is so much greater. Come to me and be cleansed. When I was in seminary in St. Louis, I worked a part-time job with a window washing company, which was a very unique experience. We, we, were, um, we would drive around in this 
uh, truck uh, all over the city of St. Louis, and we would wash like windows on residential homes, usually really nice homes. It was a fun way to see the city and um, just sort of get outside the academic world. And, um, you know, it was pretty simple. We would pull up to these houses, and we would, um, they had to have, obviously, dirty windows. And we would fill these big buckets full of this warm, crystal clear, soapy, sudsy water. And we had these big squeegees, and we would go start the inside, do all the insides, get the ladders out, do all the outsides. And it was so satisfying because at the end of the job, you would go and stand up by the truck and look at this house, and the windows looked impeccable. It was so awesome. There was no dirt on, a, on any window. But then you would look down in your bucket that you've been using to clean, and that perfectly crystal clear, white, soapy, sudsy water had become brown and murky and chunky. I don't know how it gets chunky, but it does. And it smelled bad. And we would take those buckets and put them in the back of the truck and drive off. That dirt would never be on those windows again. How can you know that your sin is really forgiven? Like really forgiven, even that thing that you think is sort of outside of God's forgiveness of you, how do you know that that thing is really forgiven? All of your dirt, all of your mess, All of your past, all of your mistakes, all that dirt was put on Jesus on the cross and He took it away forever. He took your dirt on Himself so that you might really be cleansed. And He offers that to you tonight. Simon the Pharisee didn't think he was dirty, so he didn't go to Jesus to get cleansed. If you feel dirty, if you feel the weight of your sin tonight, do you know that Jesus wants to make you clean? Do you know that it's not a burden for Him, but He loves to do that? He loves to cleanse dirty people? And you know what this will mean for you? In the chaos of your life of trying to keep that lid down tight and be really busy doing good stuff, Look at verse 50. He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Y'all, when Jesus cleanses you, you have real peace. Let me pray and ask God to give us all this peace tonight.